Here's Ann Graham Lutz. So this is interesting to say to you, God has no grandchildren. You have to come to him yourself, put your faith in him, grasp the gospel for yourself. So when did you do that? Welcome to Living in the Light with Bible teacher Ann Graham Lutz. Passing the Baton of the Gospel is the title of Ann's message today. It's taken from Genesis chapter 5. There, Ann will reveal how this Baton of the Gospel started with Adam and Eve. They both received the Baton while being face-to-face with God. Then, it was their responsibility to pass the Baton to Cain, Abel, and Seth. We'll also discover in today's message the consequential penalty when the baton is dropped. Here now is Anne with more. I haven't given this message before, so it's not familiar, so I'm going to stumble through it, but I believe it's what God has put on my heart for you and for me. So this is for me, too, just because I want you to know I know I need him. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we bow before you now, and oh, how we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace that has led us to know you in a personal, living, loving relationship. We thank you for the gospel. And so we're asking now, Lord, that you just awaken our hearts and open up our spiritual ears and our minds to understand what you're trying to convey to us as grandparents and parents. I ask, please, for your blessing, Lord, and we don't deserve it, but I'm asking for it. In the name of Jesus, I know if you don't bless us, if you don't bless this message, we're not going to be blessed because all blessing comes from you. So would you just give us everything that you have for us and we'll give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the blessings of being this age is that I can look back and of course I can see God's fingerprints in my life and the way he was moving and arranging my life according to a pattern that I didn't know at the beginning of my life. But what else I can see are the generations that pass. And at this point, I'm more or less the matriarch in my family. I never expected to be in this position, but my parents are both in heaven. My husband's parents are both in heaven. My husband is in heaven. And so I'm the eldest. I have three children, three grandchildren, and pray that I'll live to see great-grandchildren. But I'm aware that the generations are moving on. Have you felt that maybe when you're at the grave of a loved one or just you've had your own health issues and you know that the generations are moving on? It reminds me of one of my favorite sporting events. It's the 4 by 100 relay race. So I don't know if you follow sports or the Olympics perhaps is where we watch it. But it's made up of several teams, but each team has four runners in the team. And they're staggered along the track. And the first runner is in the starting box. He's gripping a baton. And when the gun goes off, that first runner runs as fast as he can, gripping the baton. When it comes to the second runner, he outstretches his arm. The second runner's already in motion. He reaches back to grab the baton. They pass the baton. The second runner runs his lap as fast as he can, gets to the third runner, and the third runner passes to the fourth and so on until the race is finished. And the race is won not only by the team that runs the fastest, but who pass the baton the smoothest, because if you bobble the baton, you lose precious seconds, and if you drop the baton, you're disqualified. At this stage, looking back on my life, I can see the baton, and I'm going to label the baton the gospel. It really is the truth that leads to faith in Jesus Christ. And you and I are given the baton, the gospel, and we are to pass it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. So when I look at our world 
and I look at the next generation coming along, I just wonder if we are bobbling or dropping that baton because the next generation seems so lost on things. But to illustrate this point and the necessity of what this means, I've chosen as my passage Genesis chapter 5. If you have your Bible or you have it on your device or your smartphone, if you'll turn to Genesis 5, but I want to go back to the beginning. You know that in the beginning God created everything and he created Adam and Eve for the purpose of knowing him, enjoying fellowship with him, working with him, for the purpose of having a personal relationship and think about it. Adam and Eve (laughs) could see the light in his eyes when he would come into the garden to greet them. They could hear the sound of his audible voice. They knew the touch of his hand. They worked with him in the garden so they had access to his strength and his wisdom and his guidance. And it was heaven, paradise on earth. And they enjoyed the personal relationship with the creator of the universe in a rich, wonderful, perfect way. And Adam and Eve decided there was something better. (laughs) What could be better? You know the story. They sinned and were removed from the garden. Their sin separated them from God. But what I want you to pick up on is that before they were removed from the garden, God killed an animal and clothed them in its skins, covering them in their nakedness, their shame, their guilt. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but because of what happens in the next generation, he must have taught them that the way back into reconciliation with him, the way that you approach God now, when you're separated from him, is through a blood sacrifice. He taught them in a very Old Testament, very beginning way, the gospel. And we see that when they had their sons coming along. They had three sons, and Cain was the oldest, Abel was the second, and Seth was the third. And they had other sons and daughters, but those are the three that I'm going to talk about. Cain was taught by his parents to approach God through a sacrifice. And you know he was taught to approach God through a blood sacrifice, even as God had taught Adam and Eve. And this is something that I just want to point out because I'm going to pull it through, that Adam and Eve received that baton of the gospel face to face, okay? God gave it to them. And now once they're out of the garden, it's relayed face to face. So Adam and Eve relayed it to their son Cain, but Cain decided, you know something? My best is good enough. I don't have to come to God the way he says. I'm going to bring him my best fruit, my best grains, my best harvest, and you know, God, you just need to meet me on my terms. And God didn't accept this sacrifice. And can I just tell you, there are a lot of Cains out there in our world today who just think, you know, God, if I am sincere enough, religious enough, do enough good things, my good works outweigh my bad works, you owe it to me to accept me and let me into heaven. That was Cain. And God did not accept Cain's sacrifice and he will not accept a sacrifice that comes to him like that. Abel, on the other hand, was the second-born son. Abel offered God a blood sacrifice. And I'm not sure why, but Abel was grasping that baton of the gospel for himself. And I believe that he learned that in the home. And you know, sitting around in the evening after the toil and sweat of the day, that Adam and Eve must have talked about what it was like to live in God's presence and to know him in that personal relationship and to enjoy him and serve with him and work with him. And somehow Abel 
was quickened and he wanted that for himself. And so he approached God through the blood sacrifice and God accepted Abel's sacrifice. So if I can just ask you, when did you grasp that baton of the gospel for yourself? Why did you? Was it something that you saw in your parents? Was it something you saw in your grandparents? Was it something maybe at church through a pastor or something you saw in some other context? But when have you approached God through faith in Jesus Christ, claiming the blood sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for yourself? I can't remember the year, but it was eight or nine years of age. I remember it was on a Good Friday. I'd watched a picture, a movie about Jesus on television. And when it was over, I knew that he had died for me. I can't explain that. I just believe the Holy Spirit worked in my heart and I was convicted of my sin. I got down on my knees in my bedroom at my parents' house and I said, Jesus, if your death didn't benefit anybody else, I want it to be worth it for me. And I'm sorry for all the wrong things I've done. And I ask you to forgive me. I want Jesus to be my savior and come into my heart. I invited him into my heart. I didn't know all the things I know now to say. But I was repenting of my sin, asking him to come into my heart, and I believe he did. So I believe as a young girl, using a New Testament phrase, I was born again into God's family. Because just because I'm Billy Graham's daughter doesn't mean I'm a member of God's family, right? So this is interesting to say to you, God has no grandchildren. You have to come to him yourself. Put your faith in him. Grasp the gospel for yourself. So... When did you do that? And you know, this is something I wondered. Have you ever told your children and your grandchildren about that moment in time? Have you ever told them when you received Christ by faith as your Savior? And I wonder if you haven't. I want to challenge you to do that. My husband left very quickly. He's in heaven and it was horrific, and it was sudden, and I was so thankful that he had already told all of us. When he was a little boy of five years of age, in vacation Bible school, the leader gave him a verse, he ran home, he claimed Jesus for himself, he was born again into God's family, and it was such a comfort when I sat there beside him in ICU, and we had to disconnect him and let him go on to heaven to know that this life is not all there is, that I would see him again. I remember his doctor came in. I put my hands on his doctor's shoulders and I sort of shook him and I said, if you were in this situation, would your family know you're saved, that you're going to heaven? Have you ever told them that you've been born again? He had told me that he had come to faith, but, but have you ever told your family? So that's just a challenge to you, okay? And what I see in Abel is an, a very powerful witness because he sacrificed in the way God required. And let me just underscore this again if I can. What is the gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's no other name given under heaven among men whereby you can be saved except Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now that's the truth. And people can say what they want, and in our woke, cancel culture, they can come up with all their other things, but we stand firm on the gospel, and Abel stood firm. Amen. 
Amen. Abel stood firm, and his brother called him out in the field and murdered him. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did, because it was the one that God required. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. So if you follow Schofield's timeline, that was at least 6,000 years ago. So for 6,000 years, Abel's blood has been speaking. What is his blood saying? And I think his blood is saying, you and I need to stand up for the gospel. We need to speak out for the gospel. Even if it means we risk rejection from our family, even if it means we risk persecution, because the gospel is worth living for and the gospel is worth dying for. Amen. So it was a powerful witness. And Abel's witness reverberated through the generations that we see in chapter 5. And I believe today, you read stories today of people, I won't get on a rabbit trail, but people in the Muslim world in particular who are coming to faith, they have Jesus dreams, and then they meet somebody who tells them what it means, and they come to faith, and they know when they put their faith in Jesus, it's a death sentence. They're told that when you put your faith in Jesus, you very probably will die for that relation, and they do it anyway. Coming to Jesus by the thousands, maybe the millions. It's just thrilling to see what's happening in the Middle East. But I just say that because we've had it so good here. We don't risk our lives. We're just afraid our neighbor will raise our eyebrows. Or we won't be invited to a social event. It's time to lay that aside. And you grasp that baton of the gospel. and Wrap yourself around it. Take a stand on it. And yes, we present it lovingly and winsomely and share what Jesus means to us. And then I think... When the world is melting down today, there are a lot of people that want to hear. And one way I've tried to bear witness is when I go into a restaurant and have a meal, and I'll just ask the waiter or waitress if I can pray for them. And I've only had one, and that was recently. She said no, she was okay. But I've had waiters and waitresses stand there, tell me how to pray for them, and wait until I took their hand and prayed with them, for them, tears coming down their cheeks. People are looking for hope. They're looking for peace. They're looking for love. It's a wonderful time today. Take that gospel that's in your hand. You pass it on to somebody else. Never mind if it's not your child or grandchild, okay? <laughs> we just pass it to the people that God brings across our path. So Abel had a powerful witness, and he was single. So I think he must have been murdered before he married and had children. We're not told if he had a family. Implication is that he did not. But he had a younger brother. He had a little brother, Seth. And Seth was born after Abel was murdered. But Seth, you know, heard the story that Adam and Eve told. And Seth could see the difference between his brother Cain and his brother Abel. And Seth chose to grasp that baton and pass it to his son. And it's his son that I want to pick up on. His son is Enosh. E-N-O-S-H, so not Enoch. We're going to talk about Enoch in a moment. <laughs> this is Enosh. Where they got these names, I don't know, but they're tongue twisters. But anyway, chapter 5, verse 1. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And can I just stop for a minute? <laughs> All right, you get it. Okay. God does not make mistakes. So for people out there who are struggling with their gender, 
God loves you. Can I just say, if God loves you, yes, he does. He has a plan and purpose for your life. But he doesn't make mistakes. You were born the way he designed you to be. Verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. Now, you go back up to chapter 426. You pick up a fact about Enosh that I want to emphasize. Seth also had a son. He named him Enosh. At that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So I'll label Enosh as one who not only witnessed, but he worshipped. And calling on the name of the Lord, that's prayer for sure, but it's worship. Dwelling on his names and the meaning of each one, he's God, he's Elohim, he's the creator, he's the Lord, he's Jehovah. You know, four years ago I was diagnosed with cancer, and so I went to the hospital about 30 minutes away and went through surgery and then chemotherapy for, I can't remember, months and months, way too long it seemed like, and then radiation every day for a month. My daughters, Morrow and Rachel Ruth, went with me, and one of the things we did, I started it out as a game just to distract me in the car as we drove over, but we'd go through the alphabet and we'd come up with as many different names for Jesus for each letter of the alphabet as we could. And since then, I have used an alphabetized list of the names of Jesus when I can't sleep at night, when I'm worried, when I feel oppressed, when the evil in the world, when I watch the news at night or catch it online and I just, you know how you feel, and say the names of Jesus. I may forget the alphabet. You'll have to help me, okay? (laughs) He's the alpha. He's the bread of life. He's Christ, the creator of the universe. He's the defender of the weak, the deliverer. He's Emmanuel. He's a friend of sinners. Gee, he's God. He's the Holy One, he's the I Am, he's H-I-J, Jesus, Jehovah, (laughs) K, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Messiah, Master, the Nazarene, he is the Omega, he's the Prince of Peace, he's the Quickener into New Life, he's the Redeemer, he's our Savior, and I couldn't think of one for you, so I'll just say he's undefiled, okay, it's not really a name, it's an adjective, and V, he's the Victor, W, he's the Wisdom of God, X, Y, Z, I put together, he's exalted to sit at the right hand of the Father where he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. So, amen. Call on the name of the Lord. In Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat was facing this huge army and the enemy had come after him and he didn't know what to do. His eyes were on the Lord, but before he went to battle, he sent the choir out first. And the choir preceded the army and they were singing praises, and the enemy was defeated. There is power in praise, power in the name of Jesus. And Enosh, when he worshipped, other people gathered and worshipped also. And I don't know what caused Enosh to grasp that baton for himself, but this is where I wonder if he looked at the difference between his uncle Cain and his uncle Abel, because Cain when God had come to him and said, Cain, sin is creeping at your door. You need to deal with it. He didn't, and he murdered Abel, and he was filled with jealousy, rage, anger, bitterness. He never had peace. He wandered from place to place, but, this is interesting, he built an incredible civilization. It was Cain's descendants that were the artists, the musicians, the builders, the warriors, the craftsmen. His genealogy is in chapter 4, but God doesn't pay much attention to it. Adam is not in that genealogy. And that's the civilization, by the way, that these 10 men in chapter 5 are living in. And it's the same civilization in chapter 6 that God said the intents and thoughts of their hearts are evil all the time. 
thoroughly saturated in wickedness and rebellion and sin. They actually are the ones that provoke the judgment of God in the flood. So Enosh, in the middle of all of that, chooses to be more like Abel. Abel, who believed so much in the gospel that he would take a stand for it. And he would worship and approach God in the way God said and give his life for it. And Enosh chose to call on the name of the Lord. So Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 24, he told the woman at the well, God is seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And to worship him in spirit means that you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit because you're invited Jesus to come live in you and and the Holy Spirit is Jesus in you. (laughs) But also in a sweet spirit, a sincere spirit. You're authentic in your faith. And then in truth. So according to the truth of who Jesus is, you've claimed Jesus as your Savior, but the truth of God's word. And so you worship God in spirit and in truth. And that kind of worship, an authentic Life of faith, lived out, privately, publicly, is contagious. In Revelation chapter 4, I love this scene, but the Lamb of God is seated on the throne, and around him are four living creatures, and they're the ones that did all sorts of work in the Old Testament, but it says they never cease to worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So you think, is that a contradiction? Because it says they never cease to worship, but at the same time, we know they took visions and dreams to Ezekiel and to Daniel and whatever. But I think it's as they worshiped, they did their work. Their worship never ceased. They cultivated that presence of God in their lives. And then the 24 kings seated around the lamb, they fall down on their faces and worship him. And then the millions of angels fall down and they worship him. And then it says, every creature on heaven and on earth falls down and worship the lamb who is seated on the throne and all glory and power to him who sits on the throne. All glory and power and wisdom and honor and praise be unto Jesus. And the universe rocks in praise. I think it's at that moment that every knee bows. And every tongue confesses Jesus is Lord, whether people want to or not. There's something about praise of Jesus, especially if it costs you something. So can I tell you, what disaster has come into your life? Have you been diagnosed with a life-threatening disease? Or maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe the death of a loved one, a spouse. I don't know. You, You know what it is. But... Do you ever say, God, why? And why has this happened? And I don't deserve this. And I've been trying to serve you. And I don't, but, but I want to flip your thinking for a moment. Because Peter says in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, but these are that your faith may be proved genuine, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And he's revealed to your children and your grandchildren when you go through something really difficult and you're still praising Jesus, genuinely. Still in love with Jesus, genuinely. I knew when I was diagnosed with cancer, God was so good because he gave me an incredible sense of an assignment that this cancer was for his glory. And I didn't know if I would die from it. I didn't know if I'd be healed from it. I didn't know if I'd go through all those horrible treatments. But, but I knew he'd given me a platform so that I could show anybody who was watching that bad things happen to those God loves. And I knew God loved me, so that wasn't in question. And this bad thing had happened, but was it for the purpose of showing other people 
that he can allow bad things to go through our lives and we maintain our worship and we maintain our witness and encourage others who are in a difficult journey because we're promised, aren't we? In Psalm 23, 4, when you pass through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be with you. Isaiah 43, when you go through the river, you won't be overcome. I'll be with you. And I, I can testify through all the hard things in my life, robbery, the death of my husband, my own cancer journey, and many other things I won't take time to share, but God has been with me. Living in the Light is a weekly study in God's Word with teacher and author Anne Graham Lotz. Learn to listen to His voice. Then start making the choice to keep on going and believing and trusting who God is. Go to annegramlots.org. Take advantage of the many helpful free resources to get you started. Join us again for Living in the Light.